The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Prepare us, O God, to hear your word through the scriptures of this day. Confront us with your claims on our lives. Clarify the choices we must make if our lives are to have meaning and purpose. Help us to respond to the one who came as the bread of life, so we may know life at its fullest and best. Amen. The lesson today is from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That was nice. That was really nice. In the previous services, Quinn's voice, God and the, and the boy's father, it all sounded the same. I felt we could do better. But they, they took that upon themselves, and nice. That's very nice. <clears throat> so today we celebrate Jesus' transfiguration. All three synoptic gospels tell the story of the transfiguration. And all three end their accounts with the narrative of the pleading father and his demon-possessed son, whom the disciples cannot heal. 
Over the course of my life, I have been taught that the transfiguration is important because it reveals Jesus' divine nature, confirms his sonship, foreshadows his death, secures his place in the stream of Israel's history, exalts him above the law, and foreshadows his resurrection. It's good stuff. It's gripping stuff. It's deep. Are you gripped, Ashley? Be gripped. <laughs> and typically, a transfiguration sermon goes something like, and I've, I've kind of preached this sermon in the past, but it kind of goes like this. The transfiguration of Christ not only reveals his true divine nature, but shows us who we are. Reveals our origin, our purpose, and at the very end, it illustrates where we must aim our faith. In essence, be like Jesus. Glow. It's a good sermon. Now, I don't have any arguments with transfiguration theology, and typically, we are Stone Village, and I am who I am. So I am all about a sermon that focuses on glowing. <laughs> However, if I'm honest, today, it leaves me uninspired. <clears throat> all of it leaves me uninspired. Yes, Jesus revealed his divine nature on the mountaintop. Yes, it is essential for us to contemplate that amazing epiphany and consider what it reveals about our own life. But what about the boy and the father? How does the glory of the mountaintop speak to the agony in the valley below? What does it mean that these two experiences fullness and emptiness, light and shadow, wholeness and brokenness, share a landscape in today's story. In all my years of ministry, which feels like a millennia, I cannot recall anyone giving much attention to the sick boy's story. If the story is mentioned at all, it always is to underscore the spiritual point that we should not hoard our mountaintop experience. If the bumbling, stumbling Peter, who represents us, thought it was a good idea to pitch a tent on the mountaintop, then the boy's story functions only to correct him. No, Peter, that's not the divine way. You can't stay up on the mountaintop, glowing. The broken world needs you below. And I agree with all of that. But isn't there more to the story? Isn't there more to glean from this boy's life than geography? For me, 
this year, it's all about the boy. He commands my attention. I know his life. I know the needless suffering that he carries. And simultaneously, as a pastor, I feel the weight of the father's desire to protect his child, to protect that which is most dear to him, and struggling with the knowledge that he is, as I am, powerless. As I reread the transfiguration story today, following a week of sorrow and uncertainty, here is how I see it. Jesus invited three disciples up the mountain. Jesus glowed. The remaining nine spent the night in the valley trying to do Jesus' work. The valley became tense and ugly. A father and a son suffered. Some people who really needed Jesus that night experienced the ache of his absence. Probably akin to forsakenness. While a select few experienced his glory. That feels honest to me. It's not whimsical. It's not perfect. It's not happy. It's just uncomfortably honest. Which leads me to wonder, what if today's story if we have honest eyes to see it, to hear it, what if it's simply describing what we already know about how life works? Our complicated happy, I'm sorry, complicated human condition. But we fear to say it aloud because we're so invested in our shiny, happy, well-packaged endings. And the truth is we like focusing on the glow of the mountaintop rather than the darkness in the valley. Years ago, I traveled to Africa with peers from seminary. And while sitting in a comfortably air-conditioned, chartered tour bus, we were driven through the shanty towns of, of Cliptown and Soweto. And as far as the eye could see, I am not exaggerating, you beheld homes made of trash. As far as the eye could see, homes made of trash. No electricity, no running water. Children and women of all ages were encouraged not to go outside at night because you could be kidnapped or raped. the most desolate place I've ever seen in my life. You cannot imagine it. We drove through like spectators at a zoo on a chartered bus. And then we went to lunch. We didn't speak of those shanty towns. 
We didn't speculate on the lives sheltered in the trash heaps. We continued on our journey to better, shinier, happier, less complicated things. As I reflect on it now, I tell myself that it wasn't, that our silence wasn't born of apathy. And I don't believe it was. I believe it was born because it was simply too much for us to comprehend and carry. That valley was too dark and too deep. It threatened our happy ending. It threatened our journey. Which begs the question, is the mountaintop and the valley below mutually exclusive? Is not my mountain next to your valley? And vice versa? Perhaps the challenge of today's story is whether or not we can hold the space. Hold the space and speak glory to agony and agony to glory. Can we hold the mountain and the valley in faithful tension with each other? Denying neither, embracing both. Can we do this hard work out of love and compassion for each other? Even when we do not fully understand the other. Even when we are pushed to our limits of faith. So that no one among us, not the joyous one, not the anguished one, not the beloved one, not the broken one, is ever abandoned or forgotten. Because as I read today's story, aren't there two beloved sons? But all you're thinking about is one. are both not worth our time and attention. Yes, Jesus came down from the mountain. Yes, he healed the sick boy. But let's not forget the suffering that came first. Let us not flatten the story. Let us not give our faith neat lines and soft edges. That boy's suffering was real. And it deserves lament. It deserves our honest witness. And additionally, additionally, the cry of the boy's father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief is the most authentic and powerful description of Christian faith I know. He didn't find his faith on the mountaintop. He found his faith forged in the valley 
of his son's pain, of his own hopelessness. Right now I echo his cry as I sit in my own pain alongside so many of you. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Today we come to the end of another liturgical season. We've seen the light of Epiphany. Now we prepare for the long shadows of Lent. And I don't know what you'll see or hear in the wilderness to come. Maybe you'll see glory. Maybe you'll hear agony. Whatever or whomever you encounter, please don't close your eyes. Don't turn away. Don't run. Don't flee. Hold the space. Offer the truth of your life. Accept the truth of another's life. For we are all walking a fine line between the glory of the mountaintop and the agony of the valley below. Thanks be to God. Amen.